Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of the How About This Halloween Spooktacular. Yes, we, we know. Uh, I'm going to cut the goofy voice for now. This should have came out right around Halloween. But scheduling and timing and all of those things just always create a mess of everything. So unfortunately Jordan and I hit some scheduling conflicts and we were trying to get these things out on time and for you for Halloween. And we're sorry about that. We know that you love listening to the show and we wanted to put this out in a timely manner, but we hope that this last episode of the Halloween Spooktacular really gives you a great feel uh, for Halloween and helps you celebrate one of the greatest nights of the year and one of the best holidays all around just a little bit longer than you used to. So we hope you enjoy this one as Jordan and I take on the big one, Halloween. Hey, what's up, How About This listeners, and welcome to the final episode of the Halloween Spooktacular. Spooktacular. Oh. Oh. We've saved the most difficult for last. We, we definitely did not go easy on ourselves in this last one. It's a very interesting franchise, but it's named after the holiday. So as we talk about John Carpenter's Halloween... And it's million and one sequels, many of yeah. which are not very good. Just so many sequels. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult conversation to have because I feel like this series has gone wrong and tried to course correct so many times at this point. We're going to get it right. Oh, we'll, we'll get it right. I, I fully believe that we're going to get it right this time. This time. I think that's true. I think we'll get it right. But before we continue any further and give our input on the all Hallows Eve, Halloween, or whatever you want to call it. Sam Haynes. Salem. Yeah, I was as... never quite sure how to pronounce it. I'm going with the uh I'm going with the real Ghostbusters pronunciation. So I'm just gonna go with Sam Hain. Sam Hain. I know we all know a good as Sam Hain, but uh we will be corrected and told that it's Salem or Sowen or depended on. And I'm sure they're right, but I'm gonna fucking say Sam Haynes. That's right, baby. Sam Hain. So before we continue further, let's introduce the hosts of the show, the hosts of this show, the co-hosts of this show, the master of Sam Hain himself, <laughs> the old pumpkin head demon from beyond the veil, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Wow. And thank you to my co-host, who is the long lost son of the Myers family and his big brothers coming to get him. We That's don't right. know why. That's right. Coming to get me. Coming to get you. They're coming to get you, Michael. They're coming to get you, Michael. Mm. We didn't do a zombie movie. That was you know a what? shame. That will that well, we did we did Resident Evil. We covered Resident Evil as part yeah, of this spectacular. We, yeah. we checked our zombie box. We checked the zombie box. It was a light check. It was a light, was a light check. check. I know Resident like Evil zombies are, yeah, you're right. Okay. I get it. You know what I mean? Resident yeah. Evil zombies are are they're great. They're great. And but they've changed a lot over the years. Yeah, it's OK. You know what we did? We did a little Freddy. We did a little Goosebumps. We did a little zombies. I think we had a nice pastiche of Halloween I, things this year. I think so. I think so. And I think this is a great way to wrap it up. And it just means that next year we can do like the real zombie. We can do a, 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 
of the dead show right next year so we could talk about dawn of the dead night of the oh, living dead a, oh, Shaun Mike, of the that's dead a really that's a good miniseries idea like yeah of, of the, the dead, dead just yeah. whatever blank of the dead very how good. about this of the dead just do very four good. four episodes of zombie stuff i think that's a yeah. good plan listen you heard it here you heard it here first <laughs> folks really calling oh, the shot here i don't okay. want to get too into too much of the nitty-gritty of what halloween is and how halloween came about because we're just going to regurgitate stuff that we heard on another podcast so we can yes. give a nice a nice overview. If you really want to know and you know they we don't get paid for this, but if you want to know if you really want to hear like the in the in-depth description of what Halloween as a as a series was, where the movies came from, we're yeah. going to give you like a nice kind of surface level into what Halloween's all about. But there are plenty plenty of podcasts that will give you a deep historical dive that yes. we're not only not prepared to do, but we don't frankly want to do. No, we don't want to do that. We'll spend five hours in the Halloween hellhole. Oh, right. But if you really want to listen to a great podcast about it, check out the blank check episode yeah. of uh, of Halloween. They do a really good job covering yeah. it. And uh, that, we're is, that is, by the way, some... the best episode of blank check. I would say so. Yeah, we're talking about the blank so. check podcast with Griffin Newman and David Sims uh, that you should already be listening to, which actually yes. I think pairs nicely with our podcast. Uh, if I If I deign to say so. Yes, I think so. I think it's a it's a really nice um, pumpkin pie to go with our Halloween candy. I, yeah, I don't know. As yeah, as of this recording, Blank Check is in a mini series dedicated to the films of John Carpenter. Their best episode in their entire six year history or seven year history of that show is their episode on Halloween, which features filmmaker Alex Ross Perry, who will give you an amazing historical overview of why the film is significant. We're not going to do that, but hey, we told you where to find it. Film's still significant. It's still crazy significant, crazy important to independent film, crazy important to horror film. Yeah. It's kind of the beginning of what I would consider the modern horror movie. I think a lot of what For sure. the 80s did and a lot of what the late 70s did was so important. And I don't think, I think without Halloween, you wouldn't have stuff like Freddy or Jason or any of yeah. those 80s and, like horror and check icons. This, out. this is also the first horror franchise. Yes. Um, Halloween 2 is the first sequel, I believe, of all of those types of movies, because even of the early sequels, like the second Amityville movie, the uh, sequel to Psycho, which was like a million years after the original, all that stuff actually happened later. Halloween was the first one to be like, oh, Halloween's going to happen. Then like fucking two years later, Halloween 2. Yeah, they really didn't waste any time. And of all the Halloween movies they've made, and it looks like they've made 12 Halloween movies with the 13th <laughs> good lord 13th coming out next yeah. year yeah it, it, there's there's uh 12 of these movies i think they're planned to do at least 14 of them because i think the new halloween trilogy is halloween kills and then halloween ends and then obviously once it ends there has to be something after it because that's how horror movies work yeah the david gordon green which is the the new trilogy the david gordon green trilogy i think ends with halloween ends but halloween of course ends yeah, of course, nothing ever really ends on Halloween. So we'll we'll I'm sure see it again in another couple of years when another filmmaker has a, a different take. Yeah, of course. And, and maybe uh, that filmmaker will be Jordan Hugh. Ooh. That's me. I'm 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 Jordan Hugh. Really, are you? I am. Well, I think we we've uh, we've established that, but that's fine. I love it. I love it. You are the king of Samhain. So thank, thank you, Mike. I know. I appreciate that. So Halloween has how many good movies in the series? One? So I think, you know, you're not wrong. I think film snobs who really know their stuff will probably tell you that there is one good Halloween movie and it's just the original Halloween 
John Carpenter's Halloween 1978. I'm not a film snob, but that, I mean, that's good and bad. It's good that I'm not a snob, but it's also bad because I'm not as learned as some other film folks. But I'm also just someone that really just enjoys film, uh, enjoys movies. It doesn't have to be like a fine art piece. So I will actually say that I think there are four pretty good movies in this series. Four movies that like I can watch and enjoy and be like, this is a, a good movie. Uh, and then also this franchise contains some of the worst movies ever, like actual dog shit. Yeah, really, really bad stuff in here. So as we normally do, uh, what's what's your experience with Halloween as a series? Yeah, so what's funny is, I think I said this on our Nightmare on Elm Street episode, if Freddy Krueger was like the X-rated, you know, top shelf, like craziest shit that you could rent as a kid and be like terrified, Halloween was like something that was a little bit more reachable for you. And one of the reasons for this is that Halloween is always in syndication. Yep. It's always like on they show the Halloween movies like every fucking year at Halloween. And to the extent that like for many years, I thought the cuts of the film that they show on television was the actual cut of the movie. Like I didn't they change stuff. So, yeah, right. I didn't even know what I was missing. I was missing whole scenes, uh, obviously more violence and nudity and stuff like that. I did not see the real versions of those films until I was much older, Um, but I really enjoyed the versions that were on TV. And I actually remember seeing the original Halloween quite early. This is real sacrilege. Now, this is where some people turn off our podcast. I never loved Halloween. I never like couldn't wait to see it. I was always like, ah, yeah, Halloween's on. It's pretty good. I never appreciated it for what it was because I think I didn't really know how to appreciate it or, or why to appreciate it. Thus, it was not until the Rob Zombie films in the early 2000s that I was like, oh, Halloween. Yeah, there he is. That was a pretty good Rob Zombie, actually. It was not until those Rob Zombie films that I was like, oh, I think I fucking love Halloween because I loved Rob Zombie's Halloween and especially Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I thought kick ass. And people hate those films. Yeah, they do. Like you mentioned Rob Zombie's Halloween and like the real Halloween fans were like, that film broke my heart. Fuck that film. Fuck Rob Zombie. He's not a real filmmaker. I think that's a garbage opinion. I think Rob Zombie actually rules. Uh, he rules as a musician. He rules as a person. He rules as a, a filmmaker. Really interesting think, guy. Yeah. I think his two Halloween movies are great. I don't think they're Halloween movies necessarily. Like I think they're so bonkers, gonzo different than the John Carpenter movie that you almost have to just really treat them as their own thing. Like almost shouldn't be titled Halloween. Yeah. Um, but honestly, watching those and liking those so much did make me go back and watch the original series which includes movies that are far worse. Yes. Um, and then it's only now in my 30s that I actually can say I have finally seen all of the Halloween movies, uh, much to my chagrin. Oh, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, some of them are, are quite, like you said, quite awful. Yeah, what's, many, your, what's your experience with Halloween? I've seen the first one. That's it? That's the only That's movie you've it. seen in the series? I've okay. seen the first Halloween. I like the first Halloween. Uh, I think that going into it, you have to temper your expectations a little bit because it took me a little while to really appreciate, like you, it took me a little while to appreciate what Halloween was because Halloween as a movie is very quick. And I feel like, I feel like it last time I haven't seen it in a little while, but I feel like the last time I've seen it just kind of ends, you know, I feel like the the original. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it has, it has a clipped ending. Yeah, but I think in like a true John Carpenter way, yes. in a true like what I told the story, what the fuck, what the fuck else do you want me well, to say? Just I ends, mean, that's kind know? of how the thing is, too. Right. There's really no ending to the thing. It's kind of like a lot. A lot of John Carpenter films are, are kind of like, I'm just going to drop you off in this really bleak place. Yeah. And just and just end it. And it's fucking cool. 
Yeah, no, it actually is really cool. It's actually kind of it's it's a it's gutsy, right? It's a it's a gutsy way to end a film. And the way Halloween ends, mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, like you said, it drops you off in this kind of really bleak place. But they've gone in and kind of changed the original movie for like TV versions and stuff like that. So everyone's kind of seen a different version of Halloween. um, Yeah, because they had they wanted to make it make more sense with Halloween, two and all that. So, you know, it is what it is. But I've seen the first movie. I like the first movie a whole lot. I think Michael Myers, while he doesn't have a lot of character for a villain, I think his look is very iconic. And I think it's heavily borrowed for the Friday the 13th movies when we're looking at Jason. I think Jason and Michael Myers are ultimately quite similar in terms of how they operate and how they kind of look. Of course. Listen, I I think that I've actually said on the podcast before, so I have to stick to my guns that I I don't think Jason or Michael are that interesting. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. Yeah. What I mean to say is like Michael and Jason, really both of them, because they're they're both kind of the shape in in their own way. Um, Like these unstoppable things. Um, That is the threat of them is that they don't really have much personality. So like you can't fucking reason with them. Like there's, there's nothing you can do. They're just like this unstoppable, like evil. Um, it's not that Freddy Krueger isn't as scary or that Pinhead isn't as scary, but because those characters are more charismatic and they're like real like face type characters, you almost feel like as characters, you can talk to them or reason with them or make some kind of deal, but there's no fucking deal you can make with Michael Myers, Jason nope. Voorhees. Like they're nope. just, they're coming to kill you. You're going to get your fucking you know, head chopped off. Exactly. You're going to die. And they're terrifying for that reason. And what makes it makes something like Michael Myers so terrifying is that he is so emotionless he is yeah. so soulless. He's, he actually, is a, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's <laughs> like horrible. He really is. <laughs> you know, even as a little kid, he's he's awful. Oh, t- terrible little kid. Terrible. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, OK. I mean, he gets out. He's you know, he, his his thing is what his, his thing is what killing babysitters. Is that like his thing? Yeah. The original title for this film is going to be like the babysitter murders, I think, or something like that. And uh, he he does kill some babysitters, but mostly he just kills everybody. He just kills people. So, you know, they didn't continue with the trend, but, you know, it's insinuated that he eats a dog. Um, Apparently he eats a dog. And it's just one of those things where like it's not, you know, he's not a likable character and it's always funny. We talked about this with Freddie, how like people kind of like cheer for these horror movie murderers who are all like horrible, horrific entities. They're not like good at all. Like it's hard to, I don't get it. Like that's, that's always part of my problem with these newer monster movies or whatever you want to call them is that so many of the characters that are like selling the movies are like, they're like, I I don't like this character. This character's awful. Like I don't want to root for this character. But, you know, ultimately, I think in Halloween, what you're you're ultimately rooting for is you're not really rooting for Michael Myers at all. I, I think you're rooting for, you know, Dr. Loomis and you're rooting, uh, you're rooting for, for Laurie and you want them to succeed. You know what I mean? That is definitely true in the first Halloween. Exactly. In the first Halloween movie, which is the one that you're most familiar with, you're really with Laurie and you're like, this poor girl, she's so smart. What did she do wrong? I hope she gets out. And she does. Uh, and and again, in the first movie, you I think you're like you think Dr. Loomis is a reasonable person, a concept that will go right the fuck out the window the more movies they make. And Michael is just like this big threatening thing that you're you're scared of as a viewer in later installments, because they're kind of also responding to other slasher movie franchises like Michael kind of becomes someone you can root for because you just want to be titillated. You just want to yeah. see how violently he can off somebody and they make 
the human normal characters kind of irritating on purpose in the other movies, especially in the first movie, not so much, no, in but the first movie, um, in the other cute. movies, you're like, oh, they almost kind of deserve to die. And you, you get into that whole thing. And you've seen the newest one, correct? You said it was terrible. Oh, dude, I didn't know how long into the podcast we we're going to have to talk about Halloween kills, but it's really bad. It might be worse than Halloween Resurrection, which kind of already was the worst one. But Halloween kills is a truly bad movie. I was so disappointed. That's a shame. Um uh, yeah, and, you know, I, and I didn't I didn't hate the David Gordon Green 2018 Halloween. I thought that was actually like an interesting, decent movie. Really weird that it was a sequel to the first Halloween movie and not a sequel to Halloween 2. But we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So there but are technically Halloween kills sucks. Halloween kills is real bad. Now, there yeah. are technically three Halloween twos. Halloween two. Uh, Halloween right? two. I so think there's, so. It's there's Halloween, the original. Yeah. There's the original Halloween two 1981. Yes. And then there is. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which is a sequel to his Halloween. Yeah. And then there is Halloween. Um, Halloween, the David Gordon Green 2018 Halloween. No, no, no. But that's a, that's a sequel a, to the first one, right? Right. That's also a Halloween 2. You're right. Yeah. There are three number twos. You're right. There are essentially three Halloween 2s. From yes. what Evan told me off mic last time, I think there's two Halloween 3s. I just feel like they don't uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. Because Halloween like, Kills is technically a Halloween 3 as well. Yeah. Exactly. So it's one of those things where it's like, it seems like they don't know what to do and they don't know what storyline to kind of hold on to with these movies because right. they kind of just really want to continue to use Michael Myers. They want to use the name Halloween. They want to keep it in going. It's probably some rights thing where, you know, they don't want to lose the name as long as they're using it and stuff like that. So they yeah. keep and making it, these movies and try to fix the problems they had <laughs> right. in other movies, but by making things far worse. And it puts us right into how about this territory where exactly. we're like, I got to look at this problem and figure out how to fix this shit. Well, um, the whole point of this show is we take things that are broken and need fixing and could be great and uh, yeah. deliver you something that's okay. And sometimes we just break it again. You know, right. it's, sometimes it's okay. we make it worse than it was broken before. <laughs> break it some, again. You got to break a horse before you can ride it. I, I, my father used to say that, but we never owned horses. What was he talking about? I don't know. I, I don't know. So my, here's my big question for you before we get a little further in. So what do you think's wrong with Halloween? So, well, actually, uh, and I hate to be that guy, the, the thing that is most wrong with Halloween right now is that the most recent Halloween movie is bad. Yes. Uh, so the thing that is most wrong with Halloween is that it's most recent installment, Halloween Kills, which um, brought a lot of people back to the theater after the pandemic. Uh, isn't a good movie and it's the kind of damaging sequel that actually makes the first one look worse uh, yes. meaning the 20 the 2018 film now looks worse because it is tied to this installment and when you have an installment that's this bad it really lowers the interest on something that was probably a guaranteed hit which was halloween ends which you would assume will give jamie lee curtis a final ending not halloween resurrection style yeah um, so, well so the, the main thing that is wrong mike is that the current movies are bad the current movies are bad. That's the biggest problem. And there's a bunch of sequels floating around that just aren't any good. All the oh, way back yeah, to yeah. though. 80s. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Though, funny enough, um, those bad movies, specifically Halloween four, five and six, um, almost no one has seen them. Yeah. And people don't really seek them out. So in many ways, the legacy of the original was preserved because most people had just seen Halloween and maybe Halloween two, yeah. which also isn't great, but it's not as bad as like four, five and six, though. Exactly. Some people like those movies, too. But it, for the most part, people just haven't seen them. Yeah. So if you were to sit down and say to someone, hey, listen, there's a million and one Halloween movies. Which ones would you watch? Man, I have the wild wrong opinion. Remember, I would tell them to it. watch. I would tell them to watch 1978 Halloween. Mm -hmm. And then I would tell them if they're really if they really want a sequel uh, that's going to satisfy something. 
to actually watch the original Halloween 2, 1981, which is considered a bad movie, but it does something that's very important to that series. It includes this idea that Lori is Michael's sister. Sister, yeah. That's not in the first one. Everyone kind of remembers that it is, but they're wrong. Um, It's kind of got Jason Voorhees symbol where they're all thinking, oh, the big guy in the hockey mask. Well, big Jason was not the killer in the first one. He's in the sequel. So Halloween 2 has that, uh, you know, implacable fact that Lori is Michael's sister and that's why he's pursuing her to kill her. That is all added in after the fact, which makes Halloween 2 an interesting movie. However, the actual experience of watching Halloween 2 is bad. But my wild opinion comes in here. I would tell them to either do that or to literally just watch the two Rob Zombie movies because I think they're I think they're great. Okay. I hey, really, man. I can't say this enough. I really, really like those two Rob Zombie movies. I don't think they replace the original Halloween, but I think he made two fucking good, bold movies. I think that's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I like giving credit to to someone who takes a different take on something, especially if you think that it's it's good, because I do think Rob Zombie's talented. I do think Rob Zombie's made some really good movies. I haven't seen his takes on Halloween yet, but... I don't know. I think Rob Zombie's an interesting guy. He's someone who clearly loves the the genre. He's someone who loves the medium. He's someone who loves these movies. He's a passionate fan who got the opportunity to make not one but two Halloween movies, and he's done he's done pretty good with stuff. And Dude, you know, I, Rob, I'm even Rob Zombie's like one of maybe five filmmakers where I'm like, every movie I've seen by this person is interesting or good to me. Like that's a very short list. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's like, look at what Rob Zombie's made. House of a Thousand Corpses is a lot of fun. It's great. Uh, he did, he did The Devil's Rejects. It's great. It's better than he House did, of a Thousand. He did Halloween, which you love. Yeah. He apparently was the director of <laughs> Werewolf Woman of the SS. Listen, that's, uh, I think that movie should have been made. And I think Nicolas Cage would have won an Oscar as Fu Manchu. He did Halloween 2. Yeah. He did, uh, I didn't see The Lords of Salem. So, yeah, these other these later movies he did, I haven't seen. Evan actually really likes these later movies, I think. Friend of the show, Evan Dinellen. Who was on the last episode. Who was just on our last episode. And um, and he's now working on The Munsters, which I'm actually kind of excited to see. And it's going to fucking rule. I, listen, yeah. anybody that shits on Rob Zombie, I think, really is just kind of afraid to say that they like some of the stuff he puts out there. I can't think of a person that really would have seen, especially Halloween 2, and been like, no, this movie's stupid. I don't like it. I think it's, uh, you could say it's depressing. You could say it's mean. It's a That's... really good, really well-made movie. Sometimes movies are mean, man. Sometimes yeah, listen, movies, this is a fucking horror movie. It's about a nasty guy that goes around stabbing people. He's exactly. fucking supernatural and shit. It should be a little mean. Exactly, exactly. Now, we know what's wrong with Halloween. I think it's a thing that it's an image. It's a poster. It's a name. It's something that really stands out as well. It's one the of, name, the name, the name, like the fact that you were able to get the name Halloween. That means it's going to get played. These movies, like you said, are in syndication all the time. It's it's kind of in that that realm where like no matter what, right, no matter what this movie's getting, these movies are getting played on TV around Halloween. They're going to be on every streaming service for yeah. Halloween. It's really great that you have that. And it's great that we have a movie that you can watch on the day with the same name as the holiday itself. And it's good. And it's good. And it's good. And it's important. And it's one of the most significant indep uh, independent films of all time. It's one of the most significant and important horror movies of all time. I think it like, like they say on blank check, it does definitely, it definitely represents a shift in what was, what horror movies were going to get made after that, because this was the first like, blue collar suburban horror movie where a lot of the horror movies that were coming out before this were like richer families with big mansions and all this stuff or sci-fi horror 
or like sure. 50s B stuff. So now when you get into Halloween, we've got, you know, kids running away from a big guy with a knife. That becomes like a thing. And you see that with Friday the 13th. You see that with A Nightmare on Elm Street. You see that with a lot of horror movies, that that's just kind of the vibe of it. And how many movies are like that now, whether it's Cabin in the Woods or the Fear Street movies, you know, they kind of, it, they're all kind of going back to this same kind of frenetic and kinetic energy that you would get from something like a Halloween, kind of a natural fear. And they, because of that, I feel like they always go back to younger people kind of getting chased down by something that's terrifying. And Michael Myers, even in his Captain Kirk mask is pretty, pretty terrifying. Even if he's, um, he's not all, he doesn't have that many personality traits other than that. He's just kind of awful. I think he has. Well, I'll get. I'll give him credit, even though I, I do think he's like a big, boring shape. Uh, he has the most interesting mask. Yes. Yeah. We, you know, we have a lot of mask killers in all these movies. Probably the least interesting mask is Ghostface, but that's on purpose because that's supposed to be like a mass-produced mask uh, in Scream. Michael Myers, because it's the Shatner mask, and because it's kind of changed a little bit film to film, it's almost like you don't really know how to look at it. It's a white really weirdly featured mask it's got a hair piece on it it's like what the fuck am i looking at it's those, so distinct yeah those like cheek those like cheek jowls are really Un, uneven like white cheeks it's like yeah you don't really i mean it's a great mask it's a great mask it's a great mask it's terrifying and it's kind of got some of that freddy stuff we were talking about in the last episode where like i don't know what i'm looking at like it kind of like is makes you uneasy just seeing it it's it feels like it's almost like an uncanny valley thing where it's like so yes. close to being oh, yeah. human, but it's not. That's so true. And and it's one of those things where it's just like, I know this isn't human. It's like a second skin. I don't like it. And it makes me uncomfortable, which is odd. It's odd in the long yeah. run. It's just an odd feeling, unsettling look. And I think that's kind of all that kind of goes with Halloween. It's everything packed into one that continues to make itself. Sure. And, you know, it. it uh, you said this earlier, but because these movies are set in suburbia where everything is supposed to be safe, there is this threat that like had not been in horror a lot up to that point, but because Halloween kind of digs that groove, all horror then draws itself back to Halloween. You know, I'm, I'm broadcasting this right now from a, a suburban house, right? What would it really take for a big guy to break in here? Really not that much. Uh, so Halloween, even though the killer ultimately is supernatural, uh, as you find out in later installments, and I, I do like that, um, he is just a big guy with a knife. That in and of itself is scary. This guy that's in a mechanic jumpsuit with the white mask, if you saw him two blocks down, you saw him from your window, you would be scared. Of course, you would be scared because it's so it's so familiar, right? Yeah. How many guys like would you see walking around town in a mechanic's jumpsuit? Like that's not uncommon, especially yeah. when you're talking about suburbia. And like I think what these movies do because they take place in suburbia even like when we start talking about stuff later on, like Scream, that obviously takes place in suburbia as well. It's one of those things where it's like the thought, the thought is that the sub suburbs are supposed to be safe, right? right? They're supposed to be out of the city, you know, naturally less crime, even however much, however true that is, is it's probably not true at all. But the thought in our heads is that, okay, yeah, we live out, we live in the suburbs, you know, people don't necessarily, you know, you always say people don't need to lock their doors and all that stuff. And then right. you have, even though I, I absolutely lock my door always, many times, always lock my door, <laughs> always set my alarm. If I have one, yes. Uh, because you know, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's getting attacked at home. 
I think so yeah. many people nowadays, especially probably in the eighties as well, associate the city with work. Oh, dude. And listen, the suburbs with home. Mini pitch right here before we even get to the pitches. Fucking this is a commercial. How about this? How about this? Sloman security system commercial, right? Fucking Michael Myers shows up on the front lawn of a house. You see it's a like close up on the knife. And then close up on the eyes of his mask and his big lurching step as he gets up to the front door of the house. And then he sees, nestled right under the shrub, the Sloman shield. And you just see Michael and you just hear him <sighs> breathing heavy. And then the camera spins because he's turning around. He's going off to the next house and you're safe because of the Sloman shield. That's good. You can play that. How right good is how, that? How like, good is that commercial? We need we need to sell. We need Slomans to be a, uh, a, a supporter of this show. That's it, because he needs to kill all night. He can't get caught on the first house. No way. The Sloman Shield will stop him. I've seen those. I've seen Sloman the Sloman Shield, your home. The Sloman Shield. And they do it for free. Today. Today. So, no, I think that's a great I think that's a great mini pitch. But I think it's actually that was my pitch. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. Thank you. Happy Halloween. All right. Let's let's get into let's go to pitch town. Oh, baby. All right, man. So uh, you're going to be you're you, you go for it because I know you're, you're chomping at the bit. You're itching for a pitching. Let's see what we got I've, here. I've had this pitch for a while because when we first announced Spooktacular, I was like, I want to do Halloween. I and uh, I thought I had a good idea for a film that I thought would would be placed nicely. So, uh, you know what? I, let's talk about it when I'm actually doing it. How about this? Ooh, this film is called Halloween Lives. Yeah, it's fucking oh, good, right? Yeah, yeah. I want the list. I want the listener to know that Mike's eyes went wide, and he he gave me like an appreciative smile. Like, I like good, it. Good work. Good work. All right, this is the boldest thing in my whole pitch. You ready? I'm gonna say it first. It's a sequel to Halloween Two. I know, I know. It's a sequel to Halloween Two, 1981. So instead of being another fucking sequel to the first one, it's a sequel to Halloween Two. Something we have not done since Halloween Four. So it's a true Halloween Three. This is a true Halloween three. Okay. Uh, but with obviously a new cast. Okay. Yeah. So this is a sequel to Halloween two. Uh, therefore, it will be set in the period. And we are recasting the roles that people might be familiar with. Uh-oh. Okay. But I'm going to stay in universe. So we're going to open on uh, October 31st, 1963. Right. So uh, back on the nights of the original killing in Haddonfield, Illinois, the Myers house. We have the Myers family we're going to see really for the first time in this way. Uh, we got mom and dad, you know, Edith and Donald Myers, and they're, they're, out, they're out for the night or they're on their way out for a night to a, a Halloween party. And they're leaving famously the pretty elder sister Judith in charge of younger brother Michael and baby sister Cynthia, who we know is Laurie Strode, which we know from Halloween 2, which in my film is fucking canon because... It's wild to make Halloween three where Halloween two isn't canon. I mean, hey, listen, they did it many times. Um, and Mr. Myers, uh, Donald Myers, he's in a pretty notable costume, man. He is, in fact, wearing the white mask that we will come to associate with Myers, the killer. I like okay. it. Maybe he just picked it up because it's a dime store mask, but that's the first time we actually see this mask. I like it. Um, and when he puts it on, we get like a mirror shot. That's going to be essentially like the first glance of that face. I like and it. If you yeah. Uh, feel free to hop in anytime. By the I way. will. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to hop in. Bizarre. All right. So 
you know, mom does the thing. She reminds Judith that she's not supposed to have any friends over and that she actually needs to like watch the kids because they're young. Michael's like six. Lori's a baby. Uh, sorry, Cynthia's a baby. Um, and the parents are only supposed to be gone for a few hours. You know, like another couple arrives already dressed up trying to get like uh, Donald and Edith to leave. Uh, there are other like, um, you know, well-to-do neighborhood folks just sort of around. Uh, it's kind of like a hectic night at the house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first time we see Michael, he's looking down at his baby sister in the crib, you know, Cynthia, but really Lori. Um, and he's fresh back from trick-or-treating like Edith did her job. She took the kid trick-or-treating beforehand. He's got his candy. He's dressed he's as a in, clown, right? That's right. He's in he's in the iconic clown suit. Uh, and he's he seems good with the baby. Like he seems like a, a, a normal kid. He does say that he doesn't want his mom to leave for the party. And he's trying to tell her that Judith is not a good babysitter or that his uh, his older sister scares him in some way. But, you know, his parents aren't listening to him. And then the baby starts crying and Judith is fighting with her parents and she's fucking playing loud music. And it's kind of a frantic scene. And I kind of want to remind the audience of like that scene in the first Home Alone where everyone's like fucking running around and no one's paying attention to Kevin. Yeah. But like, yeah. But like clearly Michael is having like little kid panic attack. Like he doesn't want to be left alone tonight. He doesn't want to be left with that big sister. Uh, you know, she's going to bring up her boyfriend. He doesn't like the boyfriend. He's been there before. So this kid's like in distress. Um, and then, you know, what should have calmed him down was the sight of his father. He sees his father wearing that fucking mask and he's terrified. And there's like this dark look. Uh, and then there's even like this extent that like, you know, the dad removes the mask and is like actually talking to him. He's like, hey, are you okay, buddy? It's, it's just a mask. And then mom and dad leave for the party. This is all at the opening scene. Yeah, it's all good. And as we see, Judith is the worst fucking babysitter of all time. Of course. And she's smoking and drinking and she has her terrible boyfriend, Hal, over for the night. And this fucking douchebag makes fun of Michael's costume. Uh, and they go upstairs to have sex. And I want to be clear on something. They go upstairs and they have very gratuitous sex. Okay. This is a very <laughs> horny movie. Okay. And you're staying be, on trend here. Yeah. There will be sex and it will be horny uh, because <laughs> actually I'm going to sidebar here for a second. There's an article that came out. Uh, it's been referenced a few times on a couple of podcasts I listened to. The article is called everyone is beautiful and no one is horny. And it's a, an article that was written about modern action and superhero films, but all, also kind of references horror films and things like that, where we're like, we're living in like a new age of film where everything is so neutered and so watered down that it's like, okay, yes, of course, they're in the movies. Everyone has to look great, but no one is allowed to fuck each other. Uh, what are we trying to say about sex in the modern era? I don't know. We can chop people up into little pieces, but two people can't do it. I don't know what the what the problem is. I don't know. I hate this idea that horror films like should be chased or or something like that. Um, and this is something that really has come up only in the more modern era of film. If you look back at those 80s slasher films, all the franchise movies, oh. very horny. There's not a lot of sex going on. And like, listen, I, I can't speak for everyone. I remember being a teenager. I'm pretty sure I thought about sex 28 hours a day. Yeah, there's and only 24 finally, a day. Right. And when I finally was having sex, I was having sex 25 hours a day, which yeah. was uh, a lot. Three, three hours for sleep. Yes. Which I dreamed about sex. Exactly. Right. So I'm just saying for the sake of the accuracy, but also look, let's just be honest here for the sake of the titillation. We're going to a lot of these slasher horror movies, not just because like, oh, yes, we, we want to be entertained by the latest horror flick from this Jonathan Carpenter. Right. Uh, no, we we're, we're going to see the sex and the and the and the horror and the right? rock and roll, baby. There's an animal desire. You know, we're animals, man. You know, we, we want to see some of this stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't care. Like the adults could be fucking, the teenagers could be fucking. There needs to be more fucking. Okay. So you heard here, 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 folks on how about this? Jordan Hughes quote, there needs to be more fucking in movies in general. Okay. Back to the pitch. I love it. Okay. So Judith and her boyfriend are fucking because they're human beings and people have goddamn needs. All right. 
And Michael is listening to them. He's spying on them through the door. And we actually uh, get like their sex from his perspective. And we can see what's going on. And we see Michael's eyes start to darken. Um, what we've never really had in the Halloween series definitively is kind of why he kills Judith. And my yeah. film does seek to maybe answer that. Uh, we get the sense of someone watching from outside the Myers house. This is a new perspective. This perspective has never shown up in any film before. This is something unique to this pitch, as far I like as I it. know. That someone is watching the house that night. It's not from Michael's perspective. It's not from Judith's perspective. We just get some other sense of another presence here. There's watching. There's waiting. Is it supposed to be us, like the audience? Is it someone else? Is it more than one person? Who are these other perspectives coming from? Because perspective is very important in Halloween. It's usually that you're getting it from Michael's perspective or, exactly. or Lori's perspective. Um so Michael has another encounter with the badass boyfriend, Hal, who leaves and then, I don't know, says something horrible to him about having just slept with his sister. Uh, you know, something else that would provoke him, right? And then we get, like, it's history, right? Like, Michael pulls down uh, his clown mask. He picks up a knife from the kitchen. He kills his sister in a long and violent sequence, which I think Rob Zombie did really well. We could take some some pages from his, his playbook. And during this sequence, Mike, this is different. We're going to see some faces at the windows of the house. And these faces are wearing Ooh. masks. Okay. These faces are wearing masks. They could be Halloween masks, but they are like really grotesque, like demonic looking weird masks. And you're kind of like, are other trick or treaters coming to the window? What's going on here? Why are they watching this? They are watching this murder of Judith, almost like it's a ritual. Uh, and then we kind of cut forward. Baby Cynthia is crying and Michael is like standing over the crib with the knife. And someone must have heard Judith scream or someone must have been alerted because we get lights through the windows. Deputy Brackett, who is not yet the sheriff, Lee Brackett, uh, like kind of busts in and... Uh, uh, we get like more cuts forward as Michael is taken into custody and there's like a whole crowd and we look at the crowd and uh, I think they should almost resemble the people that were just at the windows. Like, I like it. Were the, was this crowd who gathered at the crime scene just at these windows a moment ago, right? So that's, that's like the, the seed that's planted. All right, we're going to fast forward now. Get the placard card, October 30th, 1979. Okay, so this will put us one year after the events of Halloween 2. Uh, Dr. Sam Loomis, who's played by David Thewlis in my film. Uh, this is uh, Professor Lupin, right? Yeah. As, as most yeah, of our yeah, listeners yeah, would him. know him, but Thewlis fucking rules. He's in his office at Smith's Grove's, uh, Smith's Grove Sanitarium, and he is reviewing the Michael Myers case file. And it's all spread out on his desk. And there's news clippings and magazine articles. And we get the sense from the visuals here that the events of last Halloween, in other words, the events of canonically halloween one and two have been sensationalized by the national press because of course yeah right i mean all those people have died uh we also see plainly like clips of the murders at haddonfield memorial hospital uh, you know really just driving home for the audience that this is indeed a sequel to halloween two and not just the first halloween um there's also on loomis's desk for the first time a mess of occult books uh plenty on the festival particularly of sam hayne right because this is something that halloween two also established that some later threads picked up on that there's something supernatural going on, right? This yeah. was like back when Loomis was investigating the elementary school in the Halloween sequel, where it's just like, oh, okay, there's some other occult bullshit going on. And perhaps most grisly of all, Loomis keeps Michael's mask in the bottom drawer of his desk and he takes it out to look at it. And then he stashes it away really quickly as Marion Chambers, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, this is the <laughs> nurse Marion Chambers enters to Anya Taylor-Joy because this is the How About This podcast. 
And look, these two are now clearly friends after all they've been to together, uh, been through together from the last films. And, uh, you know, he puts his mask away quickly. She doesn't see it. She asks Loomis how he's holding up. He feigns some confusion or whatever, but they both look at the calendar on the wall and look, they know that Halloween is the next day and thus, you know, neither of them can relax. And Marion says, look, it's over. She's been to Michael Myers's grave. They both saw the body. It was so mangled. It was shot in both eyes the last time they saw it. I mean, there's nothing for them to worry about. But somehow Loomis doesn't seem sure. Michael Myers is dead, he says. But like after Marion leaves, he like pulls open the drawer of his desk and just checks to make sure that his gun is loaded. And then he turns to another file with like Lori's name and picture on it. And he stares at it. And that's how we sort of transition over to Lori. But, and this is a weird thing to include, like a janitor walks by, like just as David Thewlis is like, Michael Myers is dead, right? And then like, I don't know, like the janitor's like fucking Danny Trejo or like someone like you'd look at them and be like, I fucking remember Danny Trejo. What was he doing in the hallway? <laughs> right? Just like, yeah, pick up Trejo from fucking Halloween, Rob Zombie Halloween, just be like, put him in the hallway at the Smith's Grove Sanitarium there. I love that. All right. So, you know, we flash over to Lori. Lori is attempting to have a reasonably normal life as a community college student. You know, funny enough, I think she probably wanted to go away to school, but I, for the purposes of this movie, I need to keep her in Haddonfield. Um, and maybe she still wants to be close to her family. I don't know. But, you know, we see her at her fairly hip and normal job at, Mike, you will love this, at a record store. Oh, baby. So she works in a record store. This is a great opportunity to pick up on some soundtrack stuff from the late 1970s. Just a great time for rock music. Great time. Um, great music. And I, I think she's going to have a lot of fun with that. And she has a lot of good, like, hip record store friends that we're going to use uh, for this film that are Bait. obviously going to fucking die. Yeah. Um, so there are five core friends. I've got Casey and Jennifer, which are like her two girlfriends. Then these two guys, Scotty and Kenneth, right? Now, Casey and Kenneth are an, are an item. They're like the hot, you know, sort of jockey cheerleader couple, right? And Scotty, who's record store guy, is like trying to get into Lori's pants. By and, yeah, by and large, Kenneth is like the funny jockey one. Uh, I guess if we have to like break them down. Um, we'll go with like um, Casey and Kenneth are like the jockey runs, uh, jockey ones. Then and then Jennifer and Scotty are like the alt kids, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jennifer and Scotty are the ones that actually work at the record store with Lori, and then Casey and Kenneth just like kind of come over to dick around, introduce themselves, right? Uh, so here's our big set piece, right? Uh, Ken is having like the big Halloween party that year and he's trying to get Lori to come, even though he knows she'd probably rather not because they all know who she is and what happened to her and that she's probably going to like fucking lock herself in a bank vault on Halloween night. Uh, but here's the problem. Uh, Lori really likes Scotty and Scotty's going to go to that party and young oh, people are stupid. Yep. Right. Um, yep. So even though she's Lori and she should be smart by now. Listen, love is love, baby. All right. All right. Sometimes baby, don't you... hurt me. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me no That's more. Right. That's right. All right. So uh, I've got Sheriff Lee Brackett. He's coming by. He's stopping by to check on Lori. I guess I should probably cast Lee Brackett. Yeah, you probably should. Probably should. Uh, but you know what? No one's coming to me in this moment. So I'll tell you what. If, if I get a Lee Brackett in my mind, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Oh, wait. You know what? I got a Lee Brackett. I've got a Lee Brackett. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Hang on. Hang what on. are you thinking? Well, I hear that train rolling. Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. What's well, I don't know him. Actor Kyle Chandler. Well, I'm actually thinking of another like sheriff role he played when he was <laughs> fucking de deputy Jack Lamb in Super 8. Oh, okay. Uh, but he's yes. in everything. Okay, he's, yeah. They use him all the time. That's Kyle funny. Chandler, who I most love from the 2005 King Kong movie. Yeah, we um, know your feelings about that movie. That's right. I love that movie. He's uh he's gonna be bracket in this movie. And he stops by to check on Lori. And in fact, he enters the record store right as Ken is talking about his big party. 
And he reminds him that he doesn't think that would be a very good idea for Laurie to attend. And, you know, with with his daughter, Annie, dead, she was killed in the first Halloween movie. Brackett has a much more protective and fatherly role in Laurie's life. Makes sense. Um, But then, Mike, we get some shit's about to go down. You ready for this? Of course. Oh, it's about to get real. Yeah. Brackett gets a call from Deputy Hunt out at Haddonfield Memorial Cemetery, which is like a rustic like memorial garden on the outskirts of town. Uh, It seems like some vandals have gotten at the grave of Michael Myers. Of course. This would be like this would be like our VHS jacket would be like the the distressed grave of Michael Myers, like all fucking busted up. Here lies Uh, Michael Myers. Or does right. he? But Halloween fucking lives, right? right? So it's not the first time, but it's a lot worse than usual. Because like I think this grave gets like vandalized a lot. So some grave robbery has gone on. There's a the couple fucking, of ghouls. <laughs> the fucking body is missing. All right. Brackett hears the news. He looks pale. And even though he gets the call in the record store, he doesn't tell Lori because he doesn't want to worry her. And he just exits the record store to just fucking deal with it. Right. And then I think, you know, Scotty and Lori are going to share a scene where it's pretty clear that they like each other. He seems like actually like a really sweet kid. And she just likes this cute guy enough to risk, you know, sneaking out of the house on Halloween night to go to this party. She wants to be with this guy. Brackett is not a complete idiot. He does pay Dr. Loomis a courtesy call, like on a payphone or whatever. And it's all the excuse that Loomis needs to just get the fuck out of Smith Grove <laughs> and race to Haddonfield to deal with this because he's sure that it's the return of Michael fucking Myers. Right. So he just gets in the car and he races out of the hospital and Marion Chambers wants to know what's wrong and he won't tell her. And then she gets like a dark look on her face like, oh, my God, he's back. What's going on? Right. So those are going to be like our two hunting up the back trail of this plot like Loomis usually is doing the cleanup work. Right. All right. He's a terrible psychologist. He's he's the worst, but the best. Yes. Like my opinion on Loomis is this. He's the worst doctor of all time because all he wants to do to, is to kill his patient. Yep. Okay. It's the opposite of the Hippocratic Oath, right? Yep. Uh, but he's a great humanist, <laughs> right? He's a great humanitarian. He just wants to stop Michael Myers. It's his life's mission. He's done okay? with him killing too many people. That's right. And he knows that the best treatment for this evil is to just kill him. Yes. All right. So I'm a big Loomis guy. I think Loomis, listen. Donald Pleasance becomes fucking unhinged <laughs> by the time you get to like Halloween two and then forget it. By the time you get to four, five, and six, he's like, he's worse than Michael at that point. Uh, like, like using like live children as bait for Michael by the time he gets to the end of those movies. But this Dr. Loomis is eminently pretty sane and at least so far, and it's it's pretty good. All right. So yeah, Brackett and Hunt, so it's our sheriff and our deputy, they look over the grave. They have the slightest idea who's responsible but both men seem to understand that this grave robbery doesn't doesn't bode well for the people of Haddonfield. Here's the thing. These two guys don't think it's a supernatural occurrence. Only Loomis is onto this idea that this could be something supernatural. So just like in the first movie, we're going to play this beat again, because in the first movie, Loomis actually has to convince people that this escaped guy is really dangerous. Now Loomis has to convince people that he escaped, period. Yeah. Because the thing he escaped is his own death. Yeah. So when Loomis gets to town, He's actually trying to tell them, like, nobody stole the fucking body. He crawled up out of the ground. You have, like, the undead super killer wandering around your town. Please do something about it. And really, they're just telling him, like, look, people vandalize this grave all the time. It's Halloween. What are you going to do about it? So Loomis is once again playing the role of, like, the guy no one fucking believes. He absolutely knows what's going on. It's driving him insane. Luckily, for whatever reason, Marion Chambers believes him, right? There's a scene. She gets the town. They meet up at the diner. And Loomis is like, I can't prove this, but I think Michael Myers is back. And she's skeptical at first, but like 
some events transpire shortly where she's like, I think I'm starting to believe this is true. Okay. I like it. Keep in mind, in my movie, in the present day, Michael hasn't killed anyone yet. So we're, we're going to get to that. The bloodbath's um, coming, baby. So listen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Michael Myers awakens in the dark. We finally get something from his perspective in the present. He's under a veil. He's surrounded by shadows and low chanting. And when he rises up, we realize his eyes, his eyes, which are the camera's vision, are obscured by like some kind of shroud. And we can hear the chanting. We see the shadows, but we can't really see the people, but we see like the shape of them. It should remind us of the creatures that we saw at the window at the beginning of the film. Like, what, who are these people? And we don't really understand who or what has brought Michael back from the grave, but there they are. And this sequence is just totally surreal and dreamlike. And when Michael emerges, he finds himself back in Haddonfield already in the middle of suburbia. So it's not like he woke up in like a, a druidic temple or something like that. He woke up in like the back of someone's house. Yeah. Okay. He's already wearing his iconic mask. How did he get that back? I wonder, right? It uh, could be Danny Trejo, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, leaving the audience to wonder how he got it back, right? This begins my first sequence of killings, which I refer to as the Mischief Night sequence, right? I like it. Because as all true Halloweenies know, right, the night before Halloween is the shit you got to worry about because that is Mischief Night. Mischief Night. That's right? the real problem. All right. So Deputy Hunt, poor Deputy Hunt. He's out. He's doing his nightly patrol. He comes across some Mischief Night vandals. And you know what they're doing? They're creating the other possible VHS jacket. They are painting a fence with graffiti, so the spray painting offense with the words Michael Myers lives, right? Because Halloween fucking Halloween lives, man. Halloween lives, baby. Halloween lives. Michael Myers lives. And they're it. laughing because it's like a big joke to them. Deputy Hunt doesn't think it's funny. So he chases after them, but he doesn't succeed in taking them in. Instead, he encounters Myers himself, who kills him and leaves his like, <laughs> like fucking vivisected body underneath the words Michael Myers lives. All right. Uh, I think Michael continues on through the night. I think he actually catches up with those kids because they hear like Hunt fire off a shot or something like that. And this is on like the outskirts of town, right? And he fucking kills those kids too. He kills, he kills the Mischief Night kids. So then we actually get to Halloween Day, right? And we want to basically punctuate this with Lori being happy because that is the dynamic contrast that we need. She can't just be terrified for two hours, right? Yeah. We need to see there's some happiness in her life, her getting ready for the party. Yeah. Appropriately, uh, I think she is dressed up as a girl clown. Okay. That's the image I wanted. Like, not Harley Quinn, like something that maybe almost reminds us of like the little boy clown that Michael yeah. was, but it's like a fun girl version of that. Like, yeah. I don't know. She just thinks it'd be fun to go as a fucking clown. I don't know. It's what I came up with. Um, yeah. So her friends, they're having this party. She sneaks out of the house. She's not going to tell her parents. Obviously she's going to this thing and her parents are like non characters, by the way. And I'm not going to kill them the way Rob Zombie killed them. Cause that was shitty too. Uh, or the, uh, I should say the, the David Gordon green bullshit. So don't worry about that. No, no, no. Well, actually in both cases, right. Uh, really I'm thinking of the, the, the Rob Zombie film. Cause he was quite unkind to the Strodes. Um, <laughs> they're not really in this film. Don't worry about them. <laughs> anyway, we see her getting ready for the party. She's like having a good day, but we're going to punctuate the daytime hours with two things. One, Loomis and Marion cruising around town looking for signs of Michael, right? And Loomis flashing back to therapy sessions with Michael. These were really, really effective in the Rob Zombie films in particular, because I think Malcolm McDowell knocked them out of the park. Yeah. Um, and I thought you really saw him trying to understand the humanity of this guy. 
for the Loomis in this movie, for David Thewlis, he is trying to understand the supernatural nature of um, of Michael and what's going on there because he has his theories even early on when Michael's a child because Michael draws things and he makes strange masks like he does in the Rob Zombie film. And Loomis is wondering, where's this coming from? What's what's inspiring this kid? And we're getting more about like kind of this, is it a cult? Is it a druidic order? What What's going on here? Right. The other thing we're going to punctuate the day with is Lori, Lori's PTSD, right? Which is she thinks she sees Michael around town. And she's not wrong because everywhere there is a news broadcast that reminds everybody what happened last Halloween. And it's like she can't get away with him or her or his face. And he thinks she thinks like she sees his face in the crowd a couple times. And one time she is right. And that's just like how the news works anyway. It's like every yeah. year we have to remember on Halloween. Remember what happened? Right. Yeah. So she decides, you know what? I'm 18 years old. I can't have my life be over. I'm just going to drink and go to this party and have fun with a boy I like, which is like, dude, isn't that, isn't that like the most basic thing that any person wants? Yeah, right? I just want to go out and have a good time. I yeah, just want to go out and have a good time level. for a couple hours and not worry about like my fucked up life. Yep. Um, or the fact that my friends are dead and that I have new friends now and that my life has never been the same. She just wants to go out and wants to have one good night. Evening sets in. We get the trick-or-treaters all over the streets. It's actually autumn and not fucking, you know, California autumn that John Carpenter had to create in the original. And <laughs> yeah, no. Michael Myers already fucking walking the streets. Loomis and Marion are out and about. They are the ones that discover the slain Mischief Night kids on the outskirts of town. And it's like the auga moment for loomis because he's like i fucking knew it right he calls he calls bracket we do this thing that i so love in scream where bracket freaks out he's like this town has to go on curfew right now so we get a sequence in the film where like we're in the middle of halloween trick-or-treating parents and shit on the streets and like bracket and the deputies in town have to fucking yell at everybody like there's something wrong there's a killer out there get back in your fucking homes we get terrified screaming children running back inside but there's someone who's not running fast because michael is still kind of stalking around the neighborhood he's the only one that like hears the sirens going off and like here's the the curfew being broadcast and stuff like that and it's like well curfew doesn't apply to me i'm the reason this curfew is fucking happening right all right so let's get to our you know I'll speed things up a bit let's get to our final scene our bloodbath right i love it so uh this will all take place at kenneth's party which is a fucking rager obviously it's a huge he's the fucking rich kid in town you know, we're going to have great music because these are all like record store kids also. And I'm thinking this is like a pretty big party, sizable, like more than 20 kids are at this party. And uh, it's got a bit of property, but it's still in suburbia, right? So I can still use these other locales. A ton of kids are fucking because it's a horny ass movie, right? I'm insistent on this, Michael. Yeah, Michael gets to the party. And I'm going to say like going as Michael Myers to a party is probably a bad idea, but I think like the first one or two people that see him think it's funny. Yeah. And I think he catches them in some weird spot. Like they're on the edge of the property smoking or they're like in the garage or whatever. And I think their initial reaction isn't like, you know, Oh my God, it's Michael Myers. I think everybody assumes he's dead. Remember the world does not know it's a supernatural character. Yeah. It's it's, they just think, Oh wow, that's a really nasty costume to go as. And that's something a high school kid would do anyway. Totally. So they think like, oh, my God, a fucking douchebag literally came as like this thing that murdered a bunch of people last year and would terrify Lori, who they know is at the party. And then they get fucking killed by him in a horrible way. He like strews them up like on some fucking clotheslines or something. It's horrible. All right. So little by little, Michael, in the final act of the film, he's like killing the kids off left and right at this party. Uh, 
until one of the main characters, I think Kenneth is killed in a way that's like fairly public, right? And, uh, you know, the phone lines have been cut, the party goers like scatter, right? And Lori is uh, not aware of this going on because she is up in a bedroom with this guy that wants to make her fucking dreams come true, okay? And Lori is going to have sex with this guy, okay? Because again, third time, it's a horny film, all right? And having sex is bad in horror movies, and it's going to trigger some action. So, of course, Michael kills Scotty, right? Of course. Probably in the middle of being like Scotty being like, I want to marry you or something like that. I don't know. Michael's <laughs> going to kill him. All right. I don't know. It's, it's not going to go well. He's going to go downstairs for a beer. He'll get the he'll get the the, the death from the first Halloween movie, right? The, the bill death, the bill. Goes. Yes. Yes. So Michael starts chasing after Lori. She's in an unfamiliar house. She doesn't really know how to get away from him. Right. We're going to cut, cut back and forth between her running from Michael. Nice big long sequence here of just like her occasionally running into other people from the party, trying to escape together. Michael getting in the way and killing them off. It's going to be terrifying, right? Uh, Loomis and Marion and Brackett are out in the neighborhoods just trying to figure out where he is. Uh, they catch on to this party happening because Brackett remembers from the previous scene that Ken's having this party, right? He warned Lori not to go to it. And he's like, my God, I know where she is. Right. Because in the, all this chaos of canceling Halloween, he didn't even know to tell Loomis like, oh, they're at Ken's party. So uh, Brackett is left to clean up the town. Loomis and Marion go with resolve to the final house to deal with Michael finally and the final girl. They get to the house. Uh, I'm going to say that they actually locate Lori to try to keep her safe pretty soon. But whereas in the previous movie, the Halloween two showdown, ends with, you know, Michael shot in both eyes and Lewis, Loomis blows himself up and Michael blows, gets blown up and then survives or whatever. We're not going to do all that. Okay. Loomis is going to uh, get into the house. He's going to get stabbed. We think, we think fatally. And Myers is going to keep pursuing Lori, who's now in the protection of uh, Marion. Okay. Uh, Marion's going to put herself in the way she's going to get stabbed as well. We of also course. think, we also think dead, but right. Myers goes for Lori Okay, Lori is going to uh, get stabbed enough where we think like, oh, my God, I guess I guess they just killed everyone in the movie. She's going to be the first person to fake out the killer. Right. Every fucking horror movie has it that you kill Michael and then he jumps back to life at the end. Michael's going to think he bested all three heroes at the end of this film, killed Loomis, killed Marion, killed Lori. And then Lori is going to give him the jump scare at like the end it. of the film that she's still alive. I like and it. She's going to grab Loomis's gun and like shoot every fucking bullet into this guy's head. Okay. And stand victorious, like over the final murder house. And we're going to see in the distance, the lights of like brackets, whole army of cops coming up to the final murder house to Avenger. In the end, Loomis and Marion and Lori all live, but in a final scene before we like roll credits on this thing, they bring Michael back to the morgue and in the morgue, you know, at the hospital, you see all of those side characters you've been seeing through the movie. The couple that was coming to take, you know, the original Myers couple away to the Halloween party so that uh, Michael would be alone on Halloween night. Uh, you see Danny Trejo's uh, janitor character, right? Um, you see all these like neighborhood people that have been in like the periphery of the film and they all start pulling down their Halloween masks as if they're going to hold vigil over Michael's body and that this is something that's going to perpetuate. And we never clearly define it, but what becomes obvious to the viewer is this is like a Halloween cult. Yep. And every year they conjure this thing back to life to, to kill, right? 
and it's just going to keep kind of happening in a sort of a, a cycle. Now, this creature is obsessed with killing his own sister. I think that is something that happens individually, but it's because it's part of a ritual where they want her and she must be sacrificed, but also just that he must cause this carnage and mayhem and bloodshed every year, perhaps until she is dead. I really don't want to explain any of that. No. Because I don't want my movie to have a Bagul expert. No. Right, someone that just knows everything and ruins all the intrigue. At the, um, you want to you leave it like a Carpenter movie would. Yeah. So final shot for my movie is they stand around him. They begin the chant. We get that dreamlike sequence where we're not sure if these are people in masks or are they fucking demons. And Michael opens his eyes. Title card, Halloween Lives, John Carpenter music, roll credits. Very nice. Thank you. Halloween Lives. I love Halloween that. Halloween Lives. I love that. That's, that's, some, that's some intense stuff. I yeah, enjoy man. it quite a bit, man. That was good. That Thanks, was good. man. That's so I'm working on that pitch for a while. I love Might it. Not be everybody's favorite. Definitely owes a lot to Rob Zombie. I like Dr. Loomis a little too much, maybe, but that's that's where I'm at. I liked it. I think these people need to if they don't like it, it's their problem. Yeah, fuck them. That's right, baby. I love it. <laughs> All right, great. You have a pitch for us. I have a very short pitch just because my experience with Halloween isn't as uh, as as deep as yours or, you know, um, many others out there, but I think that Halloween is, and how about this? Oh, I think that I've said this many times throughout the month of October on this show. My entry into horror, everything has been through video games. Uh, and I think oh, nice. that Halloween works in the modern context of how horror video games, and I, I often they're called walking simulators. Uh, work. I think that Resident Evil did something amazing with the switch to Resident Evil 7 to where you were no longer playing in the third person. The, the view switched to first person and you were stuck in these environments that were terrifying by themselves. And Resident Evil 7 does this, Resident Evil 8 does this, Resident Evil to remake does this resident evil 3 remake does this and even like resident evil 3 and 2 and stuff in the back of the day do these things yeah where there's often an environment that you have to traverse and escape but there's something chasing you the entire time very very slowly so as you're trying to do a puzzle, as you're trying to unlock a door, as you're trying to find a key, as you're trying to get something out of the way so that you can get something to get out, your progress is completely derailed by something big and scary that you cannot beat. Okay. We see this in Resident Evil 7 with Jack, who is the, the father of the house in uh, in the bayou down there. Eventually you fight him in a one-on-one -on -one battle, but for quite some time in the game, you can kind of only just kind of get away from him. You see that in seven, you see that in Resident Evil 2's remake with Mr. X, where you'll be in the middle of just doing your thing, trying to find some stuff in the police station. And Mr. X, this giant monster just shows up in his trench coat and his, and his fedora and you so have I'm to get away from him. I'm not familiar. Are those, is that just like a walking game over? There's nothing you could do. Sort of. You can get away from them. You can okay. get away from them. You can escape from them. You can turn the other way. But pretty much if you get too close to them and spend too much time with them, it's a game over. But it's scary because you'll be playing Resident Evil 2, for example, the remake, and you'll be in a room and you'll hear his footsteps in the distance and you'll hear them getting closer 
and getting closer and you're like, I need to find a save room or oh, I need creepy. to get the heck out. Oh, I love and, that. And I feel like that sort of element and it's in Resident Evil 8 as well with um, Lady Demetresque who chases you around her her big mansion. And she's a big lady. She is. She's an eight foot tall woman, I think. She's like eight that's, and a half feet tall. That's a lot of woman. It's a lot. And I think that of all <laughs> the horror villains in horror movies, I think that this works best for Michael Myers because I think that Michael Myers being a giant silent entity that kind of just like breathes and walks slowly and does all those things like that I think it's terrifying, and I would want to put the 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 player in the role. I think of Lori. Um, okay. I do think I want the player, but I want it to be first person. So I want you to have to kind of deal with that. And obviously, because it's in first person, it makes it <clears throat> good for something like VR or things oh, yeah. like that. Oh later down. fuck yeah, yeah, VR. So, so VR horror is unbelievably good because you can't always see everything. It's the same thing of the environment being that, that bad. And atmospheric horror is really my favorite of the horror. And I do love a good, a good I love that. murder fest, but I think with Halloween, I want it so that Michael Myers is chasing Lori or um, I, you know, Michael Myers is chasing Lori, or we might need some like inter intermediary enemies that we fight like uh, the three or four masks or so from, Halloween three where these, these, these masks. Now I don't want it to be oh, like the, some... uh, the silver shamrock cultist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I yeah. don't want it to be like something like, Oh, it's this, this corporation made them. I, I, I would rather have something like what you did in your movie where like these masks are representative of evil. They themselves are possessed. So they might be good to like serve as your, your villains early on. So you might be able to actually have a good, like set piece boss fights against these. Oh yeah kids in masks that's perfect and, and that's what you're drawing right out of the canon because exactly. later halloween movies absolutely have like the cult which is my pitch references that as well i have a quick question for you though mm -hmm. you're mr x you're michael myers um is this a really big michael myers or it's just like a normal set like for example original halloween he's tall and like he's kind of like lean like he's not like a huge dude in I, the rob zombie movies he's a fucking wrestler he's gigantic yeah i don't know if i want him to be like eight feet tall but i would like to like him to be a physical presence like i kind of yeah, want okay. him to be scary and and big and terrifying and menacing and and kind of quiet but i, I want it to take place in 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 haddonfield illinois I, I want it to be in that town and i want there to be a couple of environments that Lori has right. to escape from whether it's her house in the the surrounding block Maybe it's a school, maybe it's the college, maybe it's something like that where she has to escape. And ultimately, I want the final set piece showdown environment to be the, the sanitarium. Uh, I want it to nice. be the asylum. I want the showdown with Michael Myers to happen in the asylum. And I don't want a lot of weaponry. I feel like that takes away from what we're trying to do here. I want the enemies to be able to be defeated by maybe some weaponry, maybe some stuff like that. But I want you to be able to use the environments against your enemies. Like, you know, I want you to be able to do things where, you know, maybe you drive a car into someone or maybe you, um, you know, you use a window to your advantage and push someone out a window or maybe you move crates around to stop Michael's progress to kind of come after you so that he gets stopped by the environment. And eventually, you know, at the end, you can light Michael up with some bullets and set him on fire or something like that and have some of these experiences. But I want you to feel right. like you've got no tools and that you have to 
like a survival horror should survival be. Survival horror, yeah. Like mm-hmm. very much like in the vein of Silent Hill, where in the first Silent Hill game, you got nothing. Resident Evil, you start with a gun, you know, and you can find bullets and you can do all that stuff. But the original Silent Hill game, it's like maybe you got a baseball bat. Maybe you have something that can save you. But in in general, the, the world around you is trying to kill you. And since we've already established, you know, the connection between Lori and Michael and how she has to escape him, because maybe it, like you said in your pitch, it's his duty or his he's some sort of, you know, hell beast that has been brought back to to take out this final girl who has thwarted his plans the entire time. And yeah. I want there to be a series of environments where Lori is escaping Michael. She's using the environments against him and against the other other bosses. And I think, you know, we 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 have Dr. Loomis. We have some of these other folks that we have from from the film series that will aid you, help you out, give you things. Maybe maybe you get to play little segments as these people as well as they try to escape. That would be cool, too. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, maybe you'll you'll play a leg as Loomis as he tries to do something or he maybe maybe the things he does in game affect what Laurie can do um, and how they're kind of all attached. And maybe he opens up pathways for her. Or maybe he closes pathways off for Michael or maybe right. he tries to affect yeah. Michael's progress in some temporary way team up or like you get something from them because exactly. yeah, Loomis and Brackett are definitely part of the DNA of the series. Absolutely. You know, to a lesser extent, Marion Chambers, Deputy yes. Hunt. Like there, there are recurring characters that are good. Even like the friends are good characters too. Exactly. And I want this to take place after the first Halloween. Uh, okay. And I don't want it to necessarily be Halloween too. Uh, but I think that I wanted to take place after the first Halloween. So Lori has the the PTSD of the first film. Um, she's dealing with that. And I think maybe she starts in a spot where she's in therapy. Is she and, uh, his sister in yours? I think so. I okay, think so that we are going to use Halloween too. then. I think we're going to use that aspect of Halloween too. And I'm going to make a video game that is essentially a Halloween too, but without all the bad stuff. So, <laughs> right, okay. Because all Halloween wants to do is make a Halloween too. So, if we're going to make a game, let's just make it a Halloween two game. Sure. And I want it to be maybe the following Halloween, and maybe finally, you know, Lori has been able to get out of this a little bit, but ultimately, in the end, she can't escape it. And it's her getting chased down by Michael and ultimately, hopefully, finishing him off at the at the uh, the sanitarium uh, by ways that I haven't really thought of yet, but I really want it to be an environmental horror game, a survival horror game where you use your world and your environments against, against the, the ultimate enemy. Okay. And that's really my pitch. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, what, what would the game be called? Do you have a title for this? Halloween two. <laughs> Halloween two. Great. Oh, I I'm love thinking it. of I think- calling it next Halloween or the next Halloween Ooh, or maybe something like that. I like that a lot. The next Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And what I would love to do is I would love to have an online component. Uh, that's something like a dead, uh, like Dead by Daylight There's or the Friday the 13th game. Um, but I'm thinking what you can maybe do. So you can reskin, reskin Laurie as Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think what you could do in the in the game is you could do something where maybe you build the map uh, and you can have people play it. And maybe you have someone who gets to play as the killer, or maybe the players have yeah. to escape. That's like a good online component to something like this, but so I'm calling it the a, next Halloween. A, I love that. There's a huge environment building com- component in your game, right? That's yes. really yes. awesome. So if you can create environments for others, but also just altering your environment to try to survive, I think is so cool because, you know, Resident Evil, of course, is like the um, yeah. sort of go-to survival horror when people think of survival horror. 
there's not a lot of altering your own environment in those games, right? There's a lot of uh, resource management, inventory management. There's a lot of combat. There's not a lot of you like changing the path in exactly. Resident Evil, right? And, and that's what I want this game to do. I want this game to uh, essentially, you have to come up with a creative way to escape. And I think that your tool set is somewhat limited, but the things that you can do like there are a lot of things that you can do. There are a lot of devices that you can get access to in these environments. You have to explore these environments to find new ways to stop it. Maybe, like I said, maybe you drive a car into the garage so that someone can't get through, or maybe you have some sort of system where you can close up a window or maybe like it's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And I want there to be a bunch of tools that you can use almost in almost like a Minecraft sense where you're building obstructions to stop the progress of the killer so that you can escape to so that you can ultimately defeat him later on. Oh, I love that. You can even do probably like some some challenges and things like that to see if as Laura, you can keep like other people alive and stuff like that it might be kind of cool. I, oh, too. I think so. I think that there are people that if they die, you know, you lose points or whatever. You don't get the best ending. I think that's great. I think um, I have one idea. Um, can Shoot. Lori have a power up armor outfit uh, called Goose Flesh? Yes. And it's um it's, Inf it's like infinite a, life. It's, it's a goose costume. It's, it's actually a, it's yeah. it's the goose from Untitled Goose Goose Game, but it, it fits full Jamie Lee Curtis. And then what you do is you actually can use the goose is actually really good at disrupting. So this is perfect. Right, but like when you honk, Michael yeah. knows where you are. Oh, he knows. He knows the honk. Right. Michael hates goose flesh. Hates hates it. He's never read a single goose flesh book. No. Yeah. No. The flesh of the goose drives Michael Myers insane. Exactly. More but insane now, than than Dana Carvey. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't help myself dude you had to be one joke. dana carvey joke in there yeah baby but no man this was this was it dude that was my pitch the next Halloween. well that was fucking awesome i would play the shit out of that game and so would i and i think and that I would actually that works movie. with like oh thank you i think that works with like a couple of killers actually you probably do like a series of like trying to get away from blank it it it, it, it is an idea it is yeah. an idea that you can expand this to Friday the 13th. You can expand it to Nightmare on Elm Street. You could do a lot of stuff with this. So Scream, uh, there's a lot of things you could do here. So yeah, let's see. By where... the way, how wild is it that the two of us, the biggest Scream fans, didn't do did not do Scream on our first Spooktacular? I guess we'll have to save that for next year, folks. Yeah. All right. Wes Craven, we're coming for you for That's Scream right. specifically. We already That's did right. Freddy. We'll come back for Scream. That's right. But as always, thank you everyone out there on the internet for listening. This has been a really great month of us talking about horror stuff for the Halloween Spooktacular. Uh, I have to thank the king of horror, the master of horror, Mr. Jordan Hugh. Thank you so much, my friend. And thank you to Mike, who's, you know what? You're our final girl. I am the final girl. You are. I, I and figured, uh, hey, happy Halloween, man. Ha happy Halloween, my friend. I'll catch you all goose real, real soon for goose some flesh. goose flesh. For hashtag, some goose flesh. Hashtag goose flesh. Goose flesh. All right. And there you have it, folks. The Halloween Spooktacular has been completed. We have finished the ritual. We have celebrated Halloween. We have brought forth the spirits from beyond the veil and beyond the realm to tell you more about our podcast. So thank you so much for listening to the Halloween Spooktacular, and we hope that you stay tuned for more episodes coming your way very, very soon. If you'd like to help us out, please leave a comment, like, subscribe, share with your friends, make this show become that much more visible. You can check us out at Instagram at HowAboutThisPod and Facebook at HowAboutThisPod. Please give a listen and stay tuned to what we have coming up very soon. Thank you once again, and we hope you had a rather wonderful Halloween.